This morning we're starting off the new year with a series called Simply Be. And if you look at the design closely, the moment Graham puts it up, there we go. It's a little bit of a play on words. Because when I think about 2016, it's often what we do at the end of the year is we consider things. And I think that's probably what happens at the end of every year. Everyone just says, wow, it's been a busy year, right? Anyone said that last year? Things are busy. Things are crazy. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to get to everything. And then at the start of a new year, we have an opportunity with the blank pages of a new year to say, God, let us align ourselves and adjust ourselves a way that we don't just fall into the usual traps of becoming busy for the sake of being busy, but that we can get to a place where we can just simply be with you, with our community, with our families, and in this life. The barrier of busyness is something that's a phenomenon around the world at the moment. It's interesting when you, when, you, when you type in the word busyness, there's so many articles, there's actually being books written, so you need to make yourself busier by reading a book on busier so that you can get less busy around the world and all these thoughts about it. How can we declutter? How can we get to a place where the busyness isn't the one or the thing that determines the outcome of our lives? It's interesting to know that busyness isn't a concept we find in the Bible. In fact, there is the opposite concept of being in rest, not striving, being at ease, that it's well with our souls in amidst the world's chaos and everything that happens around. And busyness and this barrier affects our families, it affects our work, it affects our calling and our purposes, and it definitely affects our walk with God. And if we don't ever speak about it and just say, hey, I'm just gonna fall into the flow of life again, we're going to miss an opportunity to say, God, you know what? I want to get to a place where I'm not just being run and operated by my life and the things around. I want you to be at the steer and the helm of my life and determine my steps and how I'm going to take on what you've called me to do. It's interesting that being busy has actually become a virtue. Really, it's, it's something to say. It's like, yes, it's been busy, eh? Yo, it's been busy. And if you, if you stay in the midst of the business of the world, you know what? It's, it's going rustig. You actually feel like you're obsolete. Like, I don't have anything to add. When there's a bit of empty space, and when you make space, you kind of feel guilty. Because everyone around me is busy, and they're living up to this, this busyness. And it's interesting. I found this article in The Guardian, 24th of March, 2014, that says, this busy bragging epidemic must be stopped. If only we could find the time. And that's the problem. This is a newspaper from the UK, online newspaper. And then they had a whole explanation on how do we get here. In the 1960s, the predictions were made that by the year 2000, people are going to be less busy. But the opposite has happened. One thing that the article said that stood out to me, it says the real culprit is a socioeconomic system that relentlessly instrumentalizes everyone forcing us to become productivity machines valued by our output alone. And when I study the word of God, it's a total different concept. We are valued by what we get in, not by what we get, uh, um, give out. We are in Christ Jesus everything that he's called us to be. There's no differentiation in Christ's mind when he looks at someone who's extremely busy in his kingdom and someone who's learned the art like Mary to just be with Jesus. But the world around us demands something differently. So how do we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, counter this in a way that's effective and practical 
but also sends a message to this world. Kevin York, the director of Every Nation Churches and Ministries, spent some time with us as a leadership at the end of last year after the conference. And he said he traveled to seven European nations throughout 2016, and he had the one same question to all of them, what is the biggest obstacle to the gospel in your city? And seven out of seven of the church leaders respond by saying, busyness. People just don't have time for God and for church anymore. And when I hear that, I kind of get, get sad about the fact that Jesus wants us to be in a place of rest. He wants us to be in a place of, of stability. He wants us to be in a place of certainty, of knowing, of not just falling around and being tossed by the waves and the winds, not of just doctrine, but of this world, as the Bible says. What I love about Jesus and the example he gives us is that he used every opportunity to detox his disciples from their driven human efforts. A couple of stories is where Jesus needed to feed the 5,000. And these, these disciples were still in there operating out of human efforts mindset and said, Jesus, these people are hungry. We better send them away so that they don't cause a raucous and go crazy. And Jesus like, just hang on, just rest. I've got this. Is there something here to eat? And they said, yeah, well, we only have this. A couple of breads and some fish. And Jesus said, don't worry, don't fret, I've got this. Start distributing. And the miracle has happened. It's in the times where the most busy moments we face, we get to a place of rest that we will see our miracle come to pass. It's not in more effort, in more trying, in more strategy, in working hard. It's stepping back and saying, Jesus, I can't anymore. I want to be in a place in a position of resting you do the work that I can't. Another example is where, where his disciples tried to protect him when the guards came and seized him to take him to Calvary. And Jesus said, stand back. I think about the wedding at Cana where the wine was finished. Imagine a wedding in Somerset West and the wine is finished. <laughs> People are going to be crazy. What are we going to do? Probably get in the car, run down to Tops, buy a couple of bottles of good wine and run it back up. Make a plan. Jesus said, don't worry, I've got this. So often Jesus withdrew from the busyness of the crowd just to be with his father. And if he did it, how much more shouldn't we be doing this? So over the next few weeks, we want to talk about some keys that we want to give you so that you can enter this year with a sense of rest, a sense of God is in control. It's interesting, I thought about the fires this week. And how people now say, if the year started like this, imagine what it's going to be like by the end of 2017. It's like, that's not what we are called to as Christians. In, in fact, in God's world, it's just another date and another time. He doesn't work in years. He works in seasons in our lives. But we're so, we so, so, so bound in our thinking and our confessions that we, that we I don't know what we do. But we're going to find some keys over the next three weeks. To help you. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, where I'm going to find my, my message from this morning. And we're going to read verses 7 to 13. A little, little bit of background before we read this, on just what happened before this, is John and Peter, just after they've been filled with the Holy Spirit and the church started growing, started proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the cities. And they came upon a lame beggar 
who's been quite famous for the many years that he sat there in his brokenness and asking for money, that said, would you give me something? He was, he was aiming for some money, probably. Give me some money. And Peter and John went to him and said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. So here this, this famous or infamous maybe beggar in the city started walking. And the people started rushing towards the scene because they heard that the beggar down on Hillcrest Street is walking all of a sudden. And everyone wanted to see this. And in the same way that the people heard, the council heard about the miracle that was performed. The first miracle, recorded miracle that we read about in the book of Acts since the New Testament church has happened. Many others were there, but this was the first recorded one. And the council got upset by this because who are these men? We thought we were done and dealt with Jesus. He's out of the picture now. But now these guys are causing an uproar again. And they, they, they sent for Peter and John and they brought them into the council meeting and said, we want to speak to you about this thing that just happened. The Bible says that they were terribly annoyed. Say annoyed. Terribly annoyed. And therefore they caught these guys. And they asked him about the situation that happened. And this was part of Peter's response. We're going to read this together out of Acts chapter 4, starting verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to you, to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And here comes the key. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That is the key to Christian victory. That is the key to simply be, is to simply be with Jesus Christ. They didn't spend hours of studying and trying to give a theological expository scenario on what just happened and theology is good and we need to study it and understand it to have a biblical foundation they just operated out of what they've seen jesus has done and here the word annoyed turned into astonished they were annoyed by these people and when they heard him speak and they recognized that they've been with jesus the annoyance turned into astonishment isn't that powerful imagine you going to work every day and they think what is Eugene's secret? He's always happy. He's going through a very difficult time at home, but he seems to come in here and he seems to be pretty okay. It's pretty annoying to me. And when they start asking Eugene about it, they stay back and say, whoa, that's the reason. It's Jesus Christ. It's not the superdent that he's drinking so that he can run up the lift and get to the top floor or run up the stairs and get to the top floor before the lift. His secret is that he has been with Jesus. I thought about the youth this morning. I thought about you, Joshua. Imagine you in the world that you're in, in the difficulty of being a teenager and the peer pressure and the moments that you have already, not peer pressure, peer pressure, the moments that you have already, 
spoken up about your belief. And probably there might be some guys around there who got annoyed by it. But if you're with Christ and you just keep speaking the truth, their annoyance is going to turn into being astonished because they're going to recognize that he has been with Jesus. And to that end, no one has got something to say against. That is the power of what it is to simply be. So my message this morning is simply be with Jesus. It's our key. We see how Peter exercised this throughout his walk. He was busy catching fish and Jesus said, put that down, come and be with me. And I'm not saying leave your job. Please don't quote me like that. They still continued with what they did. But he said, you know what? Sometimes just stop and just come and be with me. And then later on in his life, it was recognized by even his enemies. Being with Jesus gives us everything we need to face even our most exerting situations. This was the first time ever they had to speak up like that in front of a council. Normal human beings, nothing spectacular to them, and yet they are brought in front of the council who probably want to kill them, and they need to speak up. But because they've been with Jesus, he gave them what they needed in their most exerting moment yet. And then the whole story of Acts unfold about how these guys continued to do this. So I want to share with you from the scripture, four thoughts and encouragement and promises that God has given us to simply be. And the first one is that we need to strive to enter his rest. Okay, whoa, wait a minute, Pierre, that's a bit of a paradox there. I'm going to speak about that in a minute. But this is out of Hebrews 4, where the writer of Hebrews encourages us that we need to make every effort to be in God's rest. I'm going to read from the message translation, just a few verses from this, this chapter. It says, For as long then as that promise of resting in Him pulls us onto God's goal for us, the pulling of the drawing near that Kate shared this morning, we need to be careful that we are not disqualified, that we don't miss out on this. We received the same promises as those people in the wilderness, but the promise didn't do them a bit of good because they didn't receive the promise with faith. If we believe, though, we'll experience the state of resting. The promise of rest is truly one in today's world that we need to receive by faith. It's to say, you know what, God, I have got a massive to-do list, and yes, there are all of these demands, but by faith, you promise that I can be in a position of rest. So I want, I want that. I desire that. And here we are encouraged to not be disqualified like the people in the wilderness, but to actually obtain that promise. God rested the seventh day, having completed his work. God keeps renewing the promises and the setting to the date is today, just as he did in David's Psalms, centuries later than the original invitation. Today, please listen, don't turn a deaf ear. This is still a life promise. It wasn't concealed at the time of Joshua. Otherwise, God wouldn't have kept renewing the promise for an appointed time today. The promise of arrival and rest is still here for God's people. And we are encouraged to make every effort to get into that rest. Striving in that original context isn't a negative one. It's diligently making sure that you get to a place of rest. If you can do that, and that's why fasting at the beginning of the year is such a great way for us to say, we declare, Lord, that we will diligently seek you above everything else. Didn't Jesus invite us and said, come to me and I will give you rest? Not your bed, 
Not another workout. Not ticking another box. Those are all good things, but that won't give you rest. Not another family vacation. Come to me. In me, with me, being with me is everything you need. And in that, all the rest you need so that you don't fall in the trap of just becoming simply busy, but you can just simply be. The next one that I want to share with you is to stay hungry and thirsty. We read in Matthew 5 verse 6 that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We shouldn't only come to that place where we say, God, I want to obtain this promise of rest. I actually want to remain in a place where I'm always hungry and thirsty after you. I always desire you. I always have, a, have an appetite for you and who you are above everything else. And that's what it says to us in Matthew 5. Smith Wheelsworth said it like this, the secret of spiritual success is a hunger that persists. It is an awful condition to be satisfied with one's spiritual attainments. God was and is looking for hungry and thirsty people. We read in the Psalm, Psalm 81, I, the Lord, am your God. Open your mouth and I will fill it. Psalm 63, God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, in a dry and weary age where everything is about performance and achieving and busyness, my soul desires nothing else but you. Revelation 2, 21 says, He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water without cost. In our pre-service prayer this morning, God gave me a vision of what, he's, what he says in this, in this message of staying hungry and thirsty. If you take a sponge and you put a whole lot of pressure on it and you leave it, it's probably going to go back to the place that it's been before, right? And I think that's pretty much how we as humans are. We are made to last. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of uh, Fabrik's photo in the, in the human body, we are created to actually exist and to be, to, to, to make things happen and to return from pressureful times and difficult times. So life does add pressure to us, and then we can inflate again from being deflated. But the question this morning is: Will we just be inflated again with dry air, or will we plunge ourselves into the depths of the living waters of God and when we open up again? We breathe his life and his living waters. Because just as a sponge can take up air, it can take up water. And the question to us this morning is, which one will it be? Will we just drink in the air of the world around us, or will we immerse ourselves in the living waters of Jesus Christ? That every time the pressure comes and it's released, we're filled with him again. And when the pressure does come, what gets out of us is his living waters. Then he can take us out of that place of being at the well of drinking and he can take us to nations and other people and pour us out. And he can put us in that water again and fill us up. That's what it is to stay hungry, to say, God, you know what? I thirst for you, fill me up, but then pour me out again so that I can be filled again with everything you have for me. So not only should we seek to enter his rest or strive to enter his rest, we should stay hungry and thirsty for him. The third one this morning is seek him and live. I laughed when Kate came to me this morning during worship and said, I want to share this with the church. I said, you want to take the sermon because that's actually my sermon. Amos 5, verse 4 to 5, reads like this. It's on the screen. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal 
or cross over to Beersheba. Let me explain that to you. Bethel was the meeting place that Jacob had an encounter, an incredible encounter with God, and he called it Bethel. Gilgal was the moment after they passed through the wilderness into the promised land that they camped and rested before they went and faced Jericho, where they celebrated the victory of God. Beersheba was a place, of, it's called the place of seven wells, where Abram dug for water and he found this, this spring of water coming through. And since then, all the, the, the leaders and the fathers have had incredible encounters with God at these places, especially these three. And what God is saying is don't try and go back to the experience you once had. Don't seek another experience at another place. Don't hold on to just a little bit you once experienced. Seek me daily. Because you know what? You're not going to find me at these places anymore. That was for then and that moment. But there's a year and now. And in this year and now, seek me. So even looking back at the year, we're not going to say, God, we want you to move like you did in 2016. We want to say, God, we seek you with everything. So come and do in us as you desire in a fresh and a new way. Fresh living water being available to each one of us. That's what it is to seek him. Colossians 3 says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Why would we seek anything else? Just reading that. I've got no greater desire on the faces of earth but to know Jesus fully. And to make him known to the world. That's what I seek daily. And if we attune ourselves and align ourselves to that in the start of the year, it'll be a year where we could simply be in everything he's called us to do. I was reading a lot through Acts over the past few weeks, and I stopped for quite, a, quite some time at the story of Stephen, who was martyred, the first Christian killed for his faith. And you know what astonished me about the story is that he was, he was quite an, a great, great leader. He was appointed as one of the deacons to serve with the apostles. And the Bible said that he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And people knew that and he started having a following. And the council knew about Stephen and the things he did. He did. And same story again a couple of chapters later. They called Stephen in and they said, tell us, and they said to him, tell us your story. What is this thing all about? And he takes him through a whole, the whole story of God's work with man from the beginning all the way to Jesus Christ. And then it's interesting to hear what happened after that. They said, the Bible said that they ground their teeth at him. They couldn't deal with the truth that he was speaking. And then they seized him and they dragged him out of the city. And they threw him down outside of the city and they started stoning him. The first Christian ever. To stand in that place, we're like, you're going to die for what you just said. And he gets stoned to death. And then I love Stephen's last words. He said, behold, I see heaven opening. And the Son of God, Jesus, is truly at the right hand of God. And I know Jesus because I've been with him and I can see him. And you know what? He's standing. He's not sitting down holding back. He's standing. Imagine Jesus and his heart in that moment where the first follower of him is dying for his cause. He didn't just sit down. He was standing out of that agony that he felt with Stephen. And then, I love this, 
He said, receive me. Receive my soul. And then he turned to the people that were stoning him and said, God, forgive them of their sin. Don't ever hold this against them. Imagine being in that place where you are stoned to death and you could look the one in the eye who's doing this to you and say, I forgive you. That is what it is to see God and live above everything else. Then it doesn't matter what life throws us. We can stand in that and say, we have Jesus on the right hand of God and I've been with Jesus Christ and I know him and I know in this moment he's available to see me through. So I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna say, God, I forgive any and anyone around me who's putting me through this pressure or whatever it might be. Isn't that a powerful story? That's what it is to seek him above everything else. And then lastly, the familiar scripture, be still and know that he is God. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 46. I want us to read this psalm together. It reads like this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Just that in itself is an incredible promise to start this year with. It doesn't matter what trouble we might face in this nation or in our families or our workplaces. He's a refuge and strength and a very present, not one day, immediately available to us help in those moments. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. That's the the sound of what's happening around us in the world. The nations rage. rage, The kingdoms totter. But he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Being an Afrikaans boyki and the limitations sometimes in trying to understand things and especially just a translation from Hebrew and Greek to English and then to other languages, I always thought be still and know means to actually be quiet. It's like, but in its original context, it means to cease, to sit back, and to desist, to let go. So what I'm saying to you this morning is see, sit back and desist. Jesus has got this. He has got 2017. Let us not fall into the trap of picking it up and doing it out of our own strength again because he is God. And if we can get back to that place where we quiet our souls and say, this, this scripture says it all. He triumphs over everything. He, he ends the wars. All the nations will proclaim his praise. So our first key at the start of this new year in this series, to simply be with Jesus is the key to simply be. 
I want it to be said of my life that the world, even the unbelievers could say, and stand astonished like, he's been with Jesus. Wouldn't that be the best thing to be said over us as a house this year? That the people of every nation, some of waste, knows what it is to just be with Jesus. Because out of that flows everything else that we need. And Eliana's going to minister a song. And this song says, the simple pursuit of nothing but you. Let's make that the pursuit of our lives this year. Nothing but Jesus Christ.